You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Today we're going to talk about military ah. veterans, both military, both active and veterans. Hi. 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 Thank you, Dr. Patricia. And our other guest today is the Honorable Dr. Linda Schwartz. Dr. Schwartz, could you introduce yourself, please? Um, my name is Linda Schwartz, and I uh, am medically retired from the Air Force. I was in an aircraft accident when I was serving as a flight nurse. I'm now a special advisor uh, to Vietnam Veterans of America, as well as being uh, on the faculty at Yale School of Nursing. I've had the pleasure to be the Commissioner of Veterans Affairs in the state of Connecticut for 11 years. And I was had the honor to be President Obama's Assistant Secretary of Veterans Affairs for Policy and Planning. Thank you both for joining us today. And I want to take a moment and thank you both for your service as well. I'd like to talk a bit about how you got into um, military nursing. So Dr. Patricia, what what spurred you to join the military as a nurse? Well, actually, I, I, I was in nursing school because I was sort of dissatisfied with the way healthcare practiced in local community hospitals. And so I found some works nurses, and they talked about the professionalism of nursing that really drew me to the military service. So I contacted a recruiter, and um, the recruiter took me on a tour of Walter Reed in a couple other places, and, um, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do for three years, and, um, and the rest is history. And Dr. Schwartz, how did you end up joining the military uh, and becoming a military nurse? Well, um, my family all had served in the military and uh, I was growing up the time of the Vietnam War and I had chosen nursing uh, as my profession. And as I continued in my studies, more and more of the Vietnam War kept coming into our uh, living rooms up close and personal every night. And I think it was out of a sense of duty that I had a skill that was needed and that um, I really wanted to help. So um, in the interim, I read about uh, flight nurses. Uh, these are nurses who actually care for patients in transit on aircraft and mostly casualties. So 
um, I really wanted to join. I really wanted to join the Air Force. My father really wanted me to join the Navy, but um, I won. <laughs> so I wonder, Dr. Patricia, can you clarify some terms for us? What is the difference between active military versus reserve, and then veterans? Okay, first of all, I want to clarify the terms um, military and veterans. Um, and I want everyone out there to know that the Department of Veterans Affairs and Veterans Healthcare Administration is very separate from the military health system. Um, Department of Defense and Department of Veterans Affairs are two different departments and they're funded differently, they're benefit, they take care of um, different patients. When you're active duty military and you're serving, you know, 24 seven, um, you get all of your healthcare in the military healthcare system. The military is moving towards um, a combined system called the Defense Health Agency, but um, the military will still maintain their, their Army Medical Department, Air Force Medical Department, and Navy Medical Department, which also takes care of Marines. So if you're on active duty, that's where you get your health care. When you're retired from active duty or you decided to come off of active duty um, and you have veteran benefits that you're eligible for, then you're eligible for care in the VA health care system. If you're serving as a reserve um, service member, that means you are serving one weekend a month and two weeks a year generally. When you're, serve, when you're actually serving in that capacity, you are considered on active duty. So you can get your health care at an active duty base or, or that has a health care system or um, you can get your care in the civilian sector because many reservists have their own health insurance because the reserve is sort of their second job. Um, it's something that they that's not their primary source of employment. So, uh, so there's huge differences between the Department of Defense and the Department of Veterans Affairs, and a lot of people don't realize that. So that's something I want everyone to know. Uh, yeah, I agree, and I think that's something that a lot of people aren't aware of, which is beneficial to the bedside nurse. Um, Dr. Schwartz, what are some major health issues that face this population? We're constantly hearing about mental health problems and PTSD, but what other conditions might these um, active military or veteran patients face? I think that the uh, data shows us that musculoskeletal uh, just um, problems because of the nature of the training and the uh, work that that is a like the number one thing but for those who have been deployed or have seen combat um, and even for some we're finding that even doing the training is sometimes very traumatic for them and so post-traumatic stress disorder not disorder anymore but post-traumatic stress is one of the, um, actually one of the sentinel things that uh, is associated with military service, both because of the 
uh, nature of the war and nature of making war and also some of the um, some of the situations people encounter. So military sexual trauma is another thing. Uh, it's not, it, was, it is being talked about more now than ever before, but it is uh, something that is part of the territory and needs to be addressed. The other things that seem to happen, um, people who stay in the military for a long time, even to retirement, often have a lot of chronic diseases that maybe have been managed well while they were on active duty or in the military, but uh, still needs uh, the kind of constant care and uh, help. So that's mostly some of the important things. Right now, though, toxic uh, substances, burn pits, especially for our generation that are in the field now, um, and Agent Orange, and even uh, before that, some of the um, some of the some of the um, research that was done, or some of the uh, programs that were um, designed to test new drugs on military members, these are uh, an important part of what needs to be addressed more fully. We're, after uh, 50 years after the Vietnam War, we're still fighting for uh, Agent Orange. Uh, in fact, just this last month, the several diseases were finally acknowledged as being associated with exposure to Agent Orange. The idea uh, of many of the uh, substances or situations you might inc uh, encounter today, uh, there is very little known about all of the hazards. So the constant uh, being in touch with caregivers and caregivers being in touch with um, their patients as far as any exposures that they may have encountered or places they had served are important for clinicians to know. So Dr. Patrician, um, I'd like to go back to you for a moment. And you mentioned that veterans are eligible to receive care through the Veterans Administration. Is that not something that they are automatically enrolled in? No, once you leave active duty, well, right before you leave active duty, <clears throat> the um, military, usually in your outbriefing um, retirement um, processing, you someone helps you go through your records, your health records, and they determine what percent of VA disability you could qualify for. And the VA um, is not it does not provide health care. The uh, VHA, Veterans Health Administration, does not provide health care for all military retirees um, or all military veterans. If you've been wounded in a war or on active duty um, and your VA disability is um, high, like 75%, 100%, um, then you would qualify for uh Veterans Health Administration benefits. Um, if if you only have a small percent of uh, disability, which many of us do have when we leave the military, you know, if you've served 30 years, you might have developed asthma while you were on active duty. Maybe you would have, maybe you would have developed it, you know, if you didn't go on active duty. But but we say that's service connected. So so before you retire. Um, 
you really need to have someone help you go through your records and see if you qualify for VA benefits. Um, the problem is that many people who are now very sick, people who have been exposed, like Linda said, to some of these toxic substances, to Agent Orange, um, might now be at a higher disability rating. So, I, so this brings us to something I want Linda to talk more about, and that's the Have You Ever Served campaign. This is something that Linda started, and thank God she did, to help civilian healthcare providers identify veterans and connect them to the VA system so that we can see if they are eligible for veteran for uh, VA benefits and what VA benefits they would be eligible for. Um, so could I just turn it over to Linda to tell us how many people that, that um, are um, military retirees and military service members um, who are off of active duty who might qualify for VA benefits and how many actually do receive their care at the VA? Well, the nature of the uh, VA healthcare is that Congress and even state uh, governments change the eligibility for some of these uh, services. But basically, um, a lot of people don't think when they leave the military, they think um, they, they don't think there's anything wrong with them and they just uh, keep on going. But uh, we find that like Agent Orange and Burn Pits, new information comes to every every uh, year, every month. And so uh, people don't really uh, actually know. I could share a story that uh, about have you ever served would, which actually helped to stimulate the uh, effort. We had a, uh, a, a young, uh, young uh, a Vietnam veteran had collapsed in a home in Connecticut. I was commissioner of Veterans Affairs in Connecticut, so all things veteran, they called me and said, this guy just passed out. And we're, they're transporting him to a local hospital. Uh, we don't know anything about him. Got a call from his wife. He had served in Vietnam. So uh, all we knew is he had served in Vietnam. He was in ICU. People did not know uh, anything about him or he didn't know. And we finally, uh, we had a listing of the diseases that are associated with exposure to Agent Orange. One of my service officers took it to the hospital and gave it to the doctor and said, do you think he has any one of these? And uh, the doctor looked at it and uh, lo and behold, the man had uh, Hunchkin's and uh, he didn't even know it. He had been sick for years. He didn't know that he could get free care and assistance from the VA. He was uh, he he always he had been sick for a long periods of time, but never uh, thought that VA could do anything for him. Another thing is uh, uh, the association of exposures on the children and the families. Um, unbeknownst to many people, Camp Lejeune, the water was contaminated there for almost 20 years from 19, actually 30 years, 1957 to 1987. When we were creating this card, my secretary came in. She said, is this true? This about Camp Lejeune? She had been born there. She lived there and the, uh, her father was stationed there. She had no idea that she may have been uh, exposed to toxic and contaminated water. So that's why we, uh, we thought, especially now with the major people, the Guard and the Reserves, as was mentioned before, 
some of them want to go back to their own providers that they have. They're not in, in the military system, but oftentimes uh, some of these have exposures do have um, implications for health conditions and that need to be um, monitored. For example, uh, for many years, people didn't know that uh, Agent Orange is also associated with type two diabetes. So you think if we had acknowledged this early on, many people might have been spared uh, the surprise and also the disease and, and debilitating conditions that is, are associated with type two diabetes. So um, we wanted to be sure that uh, we were doing the best. This started out in Connecticut, but it certainly caught on uh, both from Vietnam Veterans of America, uh, kind of adopted it, shepherded it around. And then we were able to get the um, American Academy of Nursing to really uh, take this on as a, a way of um, assisting uh, clinicians and veterans and their families. So um, the card itself is very different than some cards because we just don't name the exposure. We talk about conditions that are associated with that exposure. So cl clinicians might have some questions about um, concussions or brain injuries. D discussions in this little pocket card um, are, are right there for their referral. Also, a suicide is a very big uh, concern, especially in the veteran population. And in this card, although we don't ask the clinician to ask the client, the person about these, we, we call their attention to the fact that this is a, a, an important issue. And, um, kind of um, remind them to be alert to some of the uh, symptoms that may be of, of uh, suicidal risk that might be demonstrated by the patient before them. Dr. Patricia, can you speak a little bit about what is going to be important for the bedside nurse to know in caring for active military or veteran patients? Um, I would say for the bedside nurse, if you're taking care of an active duty person, and you might be, you know, we don't have military hospitals at every single location around the country, not even at every base. And with the changes in, in the way military healthcare is uh, consolidating, we'll probably have fewer and fewer uh, military hospitals. So um, if someone is injured, for example, at Redstone Arsenal um, and they're active duty, they would probably go to Nashville, to Vanderbilt, or to um, UAB. And so what you need to know is that they are active duty, um, that there will be um, probably their chain of command will want to know information about them or, and or will want to visit I know with COVID that's a little different right now, but generally speaking, um, especially if you were enlisted and if you're a young enlisted soldier or airman or, um, um, or other service member, your commander is like your mom and dad. Your, your commander needs to know conditions about you. Your commander needs to visit you while you're in the hospital. Um, so I would say, that the, um, the, the service member's chain of command is very important. So don't discount them and um, 
you know, I know everyone needs to follow HIPAA rules and regulations, and you probably need to ask the service member if it's okay to talk with their commander, but generally they would say yes. Um, another thing I would say is if you know anyone who, um, who might be a veteran, well, number one, you should always ask on your history and physical when someone's admitted, have you ever served in the military? And then if, they're, um, if they do have chronic illnesses and there are some of the conditions that Linda had talked about, then I would strongly refer them to the VA to see if they're eligible for VA benefits. Um, there's other benefits even besides healthcare that veterans can get. And I think, yeah, here's the website on how to apply for VA healthcare, how to find out if, you're, if you qualify. If you're an older veteran, World War II, Vietnam, Korean War, and you have a, a, a variety of chronic illnesses, some of them might have been caused by your, or, or, or your service might have contributed to them. Um, why pay for health care uh, when you can get your care at the VA? And the VA does have excellent care, but, um, despite what you see in the news. Um, the, because the VA is uh, federally funded and so is the military. When anything bad happens in the VA or the military, you certainly hear about it in the news. But I need to tell you that um, the VA is probably um, miles ahead of everyone else on their quality improvement and their high quality care. So ask the question, ask have you ever been in the military? And please go to the American Academy website American Academy of Nursing, or the Have You Ever Served website, haveyouevereserved.com, and download some of those cards and pass them out to your fellow, um, your fellow colleagues, your nurses and physicians who you work with. Um, I, I guess I'll stop there, but um, I, you know, Allison, if you want to talk about um, the I Serve Two campaign, we can do that too. I think that would be great because I, for one, did not know that existed. So can, can you or Dr. Schwartz, would you like to share with us? Oh, I think I serve too as uh, Dr. Patricia's uh, okay. forte. I, I, I did okay. want to say something else. I did want to say something else uh, um, that uh, for clinicians, there are other uh, benefits. Last night I was watching uh, the news and it talked about a, a young uh uh, veteran who uh, was uh, destitute. Uh, in reality, VA has what they call a wartime pension. So if people serve during a wartime, they are, the VA is uh, authorized to provide uh, some subsistence uh, for them. Uh, it's not a great amount of money, but as I like to point out to some of our homeless veterans, it's something rather than nothing. And Another thing, for example, um, I was a public health nurse, and one day we were we were uh, wrestling with a problem. One of our uh, coworkers' sister was going to be committed to the state hospital, and they were they were like frantic not to have that happen. And I just said, "Well, did she ever serve in the military?" And they go, "Yes, they did." So we could get her into the VA hospital, and she didn't have to go into the state. But um, in addition to that, there are, you know, home loans and all these other things. 
But I, I, I did want to say that this, the concept of knowing uh, what, who you're talking to, first of all, asking if somebody served in the military, it's kind of an icebreaker. If you do have a veteran there, but I know my sister was uh, being uh, admitted to Cleveland Clinic and they asked her if she was a veteran. And she said, I'm not, but I know why you're asking that question. So it's also to raise the awareness uh, of the of the clinical people, uh, not only to the veteran themselves, but there are other, I, I wanted to mention that some of the uh, children of Vietnam veterans have spina bifida. Some of the children of the um, people who were serving at Camp Lejeune, all of them are getting into some sort of support and assistance for the uh, the uh, conditions associated with these exposures. And Dr. Patricia, and I believe that connects to the I Serve Two campaign. Yes, the I, I Serve Two campaign was created, um, it was sort of a spin-off of the Have You Ever Served campaign. And the brainchild of this is Dr. Alicia Rossiter. And um, I believe on the card, there is a, an article that we had, um, that I co-authored with Alicia in Nursing Outlook about the I Serve Two campaign. Um, military children, especially those of reservists, uh, whose parents might have been uh, away deployed in the current wars that we've had, um, they don't have the services necessarily that you'll find uh, for the active duty children. The, the children of active duty members are usually living on post or close to a military installation where there are a variety of services for children you know, because the military is big on families and children. But the reservists were sort of left behind. And so um, Alicia, being a nurse practitioner, um, noticed that there's a lot of military uh, reservists, children of military reservists who are having some issues and difficulties with the long-term and numerous deployments of their parents. So she created, we created the um, I Serve Two campaign to recognize that children of active and reserve um, service members are also having some issues, behavioral issues in school and other things. So if you're working in a pediatric facility, it's a good idea to ask the parents, have, you, have, have the parents served in the military or ask um, the, the child or sibling, um, you know, have your parents served in the military? Because there's some uh, connectivity with some of the active duty resources for these children. Those are excellent resources and thank you for sharing that. Um, we do have a question from the audience. They would like to know if you could talk a little bit about what it's like to have a career in military nursing. Um, Dr. Schwartz, would you like to go first? Well, um, I loved uh, my uh, military service. Uh, I would have stayed in, except I was in an aircraft accident. It is very challenging, but also at the same time, um, very rewarding in many respects because you do get the opportunities for, uh, I want to say adventure, but it's challenging so that you can um, Actually, I never thought that I would be a flight nurse, although I wanted to be, but that—that that is a kind of a, 
when you're at altitude flying over the Atlantic Ocean and someone decides to start bleeding, it's a, it's a, and you're the only uh, medical personnel on the flight, that's a challenge. But it's also very rewarding that you can handle these situations, especially the nurses today. The, they have uh, my greatest respect because of the kinds of uh, injuries that we are seeing. So I would say if you want to adventure and you want to be challenged and you want to be supported in your uh, quest for excellence in nursing, military nursing is a good, is a good place to go. Thank you. And Dr. Patricia, can you talk a little bit about your career in nursing? You know, I came in the military for the professionalism. And um, I thought, well, I could do anything for three years. You know, that was my service obligation. I ended up staying 26 years. Um, and the reason is, and besides, I was a single parent when I came in. They were just a few years before that allowing single moms and uh, I don't know about dads, but single moms to come into the Army Nurse Corps. And I was happy with that. Um, what I found in the military is the professionalism that I was seeking. Uh, there's, there's, um, you know, there's a certain, um, uh, I guess the, the practice environment that's created in the military is something that is very similar to what you find in magnet hospitals. And some of my research is, is panning that out. I mean, we're, we're finding that some of the, subscales of the instrument we use are very similar between magna and military hospitals. But um, you get the opportunity to advance, advance in your leadership skills. You're a staff nurse for just a few years, maybe five at the most. You're encouraged to seek out a specialty. Mine was critical care. I went to a course and uh, had clinical and didactic that prepared me to work in any clinical critical care environment. So I worked in critical care for a while. I, um, I got my master's degree partly part-time on my own, and I applied to uh, go full-time with the military. I got my master's degree paid for. Um, and then I, I had a, a nurse manager job for a while. Um, I got into some educational programs. I ran the uh, continuing education program for the Army Nurse Corps for a little while and all of their professional courses. Um, and then I wanted to go to school, get my PhD. That was always in, on my to-do list to get a PhD. And um, the military pays for that. If, if you qualify to get their long-term health education and training program, um, they'll pay your salary and pay your tuition. I, no, I don't know anybody else that does that. So the military is really big on advancing you as a nurse, they're really big on, um, you know, supporting nursing research. The first research service was in the military in Walter Reed in like 1952. Now there's nursing research services in most major academic medical centers. Um, but that was started in the Army. There were so many things that were started in the military. Uh, renal dialysis. Um, I mean, just so much. You, you need to read a little bit about military nursing history. It's a fabulous story. And then that's a, it's a family and it's a connection. I felt a connection with Linda the first time I met her. And part of that is because we've both served in the military. Right. That's wonderful. 
to hear that. And thank you for answering that. I know our audience appreciates hearing your background and, and the support that you felt in the military and that you currently feel. Uh, I want to ask you one more thing, Dr. Patricia. I understand that you um, work with the VA and an academic medical center. And I wondered if you could tell us about how that interaction happens and what, um, what that looks like. Well, you know, the VA, in order to get really good physicians back in the 50s, started partnerships with academic medical centers and medical schools. And, you know, a lot of people were wondering, well, why not? Why, do, why don't nursing have those same relationships? Well, the VA started partnering with, um, maybe not started, but formalized partnerships with academic um, institutions, colleges of nursing, um, probably in the mid 2000s. And we have a VA partnership at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And there are many around the country. But what, what I co-direct here at the Birmingham VA is the VA Quality Scholars Postdoctoral Program. This is an interprofessional program to teach and train um, providers to improve, to continually improve the quality of care and services they provide, to conduct research in those um, methods to improve quality. Um, and we have, currently two surgeons, two pharmacists, and one nurse in our program at the Birmingham VA, but this is a national program. And you, um, as a postdoc, you get a postdoc salary and you get the opportunity to do a lot of scholarship work with the VA and at the VA. There are, um, I think, nine, nine to 10 sites around the country and so, you know, if, if anyone out there is interested in this opportunity, you're more than welcome to email me and, and ask. And you can also Google VA Quality Scholars Program or VAQS.org. Thank you. We are about ready to wrap up. I wonder if before we go, Dr. Schwartz, you could give us one takeaway. Well, um, when I think about the Have You Ever Served, my takeaway from this is that your patients are your very best teachers. That if you listen and look you and understand, you will be able to learn a great deal that will apply uh, to your practice. So I, I, am, I give my patients a lot of credit for having the patience and uh, the understanding. And sometimes they didn't know I, they were helping me understand. But that's where the rubber meets the road. All patients are not the same. Wonderful words of wisdom. Dr. Patricia, what would your takeaway be? My takeaway is ask the question. Please ask the question, have you ever served? There are a lot of homeless veterans that don't need to be homeless. Um, there's a lot of people suffering that don't need to suffer financial difficulties because of their health um, that might qualify for veterans health care. So please, everyone out there, ask the question. Thank you so much. And I want, again, to thank you both for your service and all that you continue to do. And that's it for today's Clinical Pearls. Please join us next time.
Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash nursing network.